0: Hello friends, welcome back to the For the Ladies podcast. Today is January 25th, and the LPGA returned for the Diamond Resorts Tournament of Champions. It was a pro-am format, but the final round was something to behold. Danielle entered the final round with the lead, but it was Jessica Corda who made news during the third round after she became the fifth LPGA player to post a 60 in a tournament round. Insane. For the final round, the LPGA put the final group of professional players together rather than competing with their celebrity partners. So we got a final round of Danielle Kang with sisters Jessica and Nelly Corda, and let me tell you, it was entertainment at its finest. The trio was really close all day, um, with Danielle holding a slight lead for a majority of the round. But five birdies in her final seven holes put Jessica Corda tied at the top with Danielle in the end. It was pretty funny on 18. The music was blaring and Jessica was singing and dancing along on the tee. You could tell she was just like truly enjoying herself, maybe also distracting herself. But anyway, they played the par 3 18th in the sudden death playoff where Jessica made an insane birdie putt to capture her sixth title and first win in three years. Her fist pump was epic. You could tell it was like the release of working so hard through injury and trying to fight her way back to the winner's circle. So go find it on Twitter or something. Um, Nellie also had herself a day carting a bogey freeze 64, but she came two strokes short of joining the playoff. It was an awesome final round, but I am sad to say we have a month until the next LPGA event, which will take place in Orlando. Now let's get into today's Ladies of Golf episode, where we welcome LPGA tour player Christina Kim. Christina was such a fun burst of energy, and I love how she has a great sense of self. I have been watching her ever since um, I was a teenager, so it was it was really cool for me to have this conversation with her. She joined the LPGA in 2003, has three victories to her name, and is a three-time Solheim Cup member. A lot of threes there. Uh, we talked a lot about her, star- her start in golf why she likes to be a mentor to other golfers of all ages, and her thoughts on the women's game. So I hope you guys enjoy.
1: Starting to slow down again. <laughs> I don't know.
0: Whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it and just see what happens. Sure. Sounds good. Okay. Okay. So I always start. Um, so this series is Ladies of Golf, where we feature women who play the sport, work in it, Anything. Um, but we always start with a quick nine. So I will ask you your quick nine questions. Um, the first is what's your favorite club in the bag?
1: Ooh, for me, my favorite golf club. Ooh, I don't know if I can pick just one. I have okay. like 12 clubs that I love.
0: Oh, perfect. So what are the two? If you have 14, what are the two that you don't like?
1: Oh, uh... A five iron only in like, if it's really, really cold out and I've got to carry it over water. And yep. depending on the lie, on occasion, my 60 degree wedge, I've been trying to use my 56 degree more often than my 60. I think that the 60 degree should really only be used when you're short-sighted.
0: Mm, okay. Okay. Fair enough. What was the last um, show that you watched?
1: So uh, you know, we're in the new year, we're in 2021, and I'm not gonna lie, the last show that I watched was pre lockdown because I told oh my myself, in case things get really bad, I do not want to have seen all of Netflix, Hulu, Prime, HBO, everything. So in terms of actually like binging a show, the last show I watched was Bob's Burgers back in like March
0: 11th or something oh like that. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Well, I'm hopeful that you won't even have to
1: rely on that at this point. I I, I fully agree with you. I do watch <laughs> the news like almost 24 seven though. <laughs> I'm that many years dangerous.
0: old. <laughs> what, um, what was the last
1: book you read? The last Book I read, so I have, and I have not started a promised land. A promised land by uh, Barack Obama. The last book that I read, um, I listened to the audiobook first, uh-huh. and then I uh, read the actual physical book. Was uh, born a crime by Trevor Noah, and it oh, is just so one good. of the most. Oh my gosh! Yeah, like, it was great. Cried, laughed, felt every single emotion. The the life that he has led yeah. thus far, and he is so young, is just astounding
0: mm-hmm. and I just I didn't know his background so for me I, when I read it I was like whoa this came out of nowhere for me yeah for yeah. sure for sure oh nice and why did you um listen and then read it did you feel like you missed parts
1: no I just wanted I I I'm, I'm big into audiobooks um oh. and I Am the kind of person that if I come across an audiobook and I really, really, really enjoyed it, I will uh, want to um, further my um, support of the author, yeah. the, say, comedian at, uh, you know, obviously he's the author as well, um, and just, you know, and and just read it. Yeah. You know, and I, I love to read as well. Um, so for me, it was just kind of like one of those things. Where I was like, I'm going to read this after listening. I, I, well, I'm first going to listen to this. And then I listened to it. And I was like, I'm going to read it. And I'm going <laughs> to continue to support Trevor Noah because he's amazing.
0: Perfect. Um, what is your favorite snack to have on the golf course?
1: My favorite snack to have on the golf course. Um, so I've been uh, living a keto lifestyle for over yes. a year now. And mm-hmm. so for me, I am obsessed with pili nuts p-i-l-i nuts they're a nut from the Philippines that is like the most perfect when it comes to like a keto lifestyle in terms of macros mm. um, and it's full of magnesium and magnesium is my favorite nutrient of all of them um, <laughs> and I mean it's great for muscle recovery it's it's, okay. it's really really good for the heart um, and it's just it's it's buttery it's creamy it's it, it, it's just, it's one of my favorite foods of all time. And I love just grabbing like a small fistful of them, shoving it in my mouth, horking them down, washing it down with some water um, and just, you know, having tons of energy from them.
0: I love that. I was listening to your podcast with um, Andy Johnson of the fried egg. And oh, I think, at the, yeah. yeah, I think at the time you said like radish chips
1: or something similar. <laughs> yes. I had made some radish chips from my dehydrator. <laughs> Oh, and I am still all about that dehydrator life. Like it's, it's so it's like, there are all these like little things where I'm like, it sounds as though I'm like a prepper because I'm like, I'm going to dehydrate a bunch of food so that it's not, you know, so I'll be able to just like put them in zip, uh, air, air, uh, yeah. uh, like back bags, and, sealed bags. Mm-hmm. and then I'm not going to watch anything so that when you know when stuff actually goes down I'll be able to like have shows and this and that if I ever need to go into like an underground bunker and just hunker down for like six or seven months like I, I sound like a prepper
0: oh my gosh um okay so what who um is your favorite favorite person to play a practice round with
1: Favorite person to play a practice round with. um, I really enjoy playing with Amy Olson. She's, Mm -hmm. she's, she's wonderfully articulate. She's so, so smart. She's an absolute joy. I could watch her swing all day. Um, Tiffany Joe is one of my best friends on tour. And I love, I mean, it's always an absolute riot anytime that I'm with her. So she's definitely up there as well.
0: Nice. Love that. And I'm sure they're, they're fun and energetic to play with too. Oh, absolutely. And they're fast. Oh, okay. That's yeah. like one of my top prerequisites. Yeah. That's, that's a good thing. <laughs> um, so I haven't asked this question to anyone yet. So if it flops, that's okay. Who would you say is like your counterpart on the PGA tour, whether that's like in personality, strengths, like game, etc.?
1: Well, that's a really, really good question. And I don't really know if I have an answer. A lot of people tell me that I remind them of Pat Perez. And I'm not okay. sure if i meant to take that as a compliment or if I should be deeply <laughs> insulted. I honestly. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. When I heard that the first couple dozen times, I went with the latter and not the former. I was borderline offended. <laughs> So that
0: uh, like uh, I th- when I think of him, I'm thinking of the person that I hear on like podcasts and on air. And I actually really enjoy him. Um, he, he, he drinks way too know. much
1: anytime he's on a podcast though. And I don't <laughs> drink alcohol. Also fair. That's also fair. <laughs> and like, you know, he's he says some things like I, I I may say some things that are colorful. I don't I try to avoid saying things that are um um for lack of better word. Mean? Yeah. I like to be nice to people, right. so yeah. I don't know. Um, but you know, he's he's entertaining, sure, uh, to some people. So I guess you know, I, I I I guess maybe that's where they're going with. But I'm like. You're telling me you don't see any any sort of similarities between myself and say Zach Johnson. We're both really good people. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I really don't know.
0: That's funny. I right. It's like one of those questions that I'm like very curious about. But I'm like, one, does anyone actually think that way? And then two, I. I was not expecting you to say Pat Perez. I didn't know what you were going to say. <laughs> that was not I don't know so. what
1: I would say either. Cause I'm like, I sit here and I'm like, I really don't know if I would say there is a quote unquote counterpart. Sure. Like maybe the closest I would say would be like a Max Homa. Okay. Cause we both yeah. love to laugh and yeah. we, you know, both seem to have, you know, a pretty good, um, appreciation for life and we don't take ourselves too seriously. Um, but yeah, the, the whole Pat Perez thing, I was like, oh, man, I don't, I don't, I don't know yeah. like that. <laughs> I don't think,
0: yeah, that's not what came to mind for me. So, okay, well, we did your quick Yeah, you you're past that. But I do want to start kind of at the near the beginning. When were you first um, introduced to the game?
1: So I was introduced to the game. Um, my sister who's the eldest my brother who's the middle child and myself the youngest were all introduced when I was just shy of 12 um and my dad took us into the backyard and there was like the old school like two by three foot mat that had a metal hook with a yellow plastic ball hanging on a rope Um, I don't know if anybody is old enough to remember those, but we had one set up in the backyard and my dad taught my brother, my sister, and I, the fundamentals of the golf swing, the grip, the stance. And he had us practice 500 swings every single day, each of us. And this was before we had any idea that the ball was not supposed to be on a string. And oh my after, um, after about three months of doing that, he took us out onto the driving range and was like, okay, the golf ball's free. Now you try and hit it as far away from you as possible. And you start above the ground, you hit it on the ground, you finish underground, and you try and do it, one, as quickly as possible, and two, as uh, in as few attempts as possible. Um, so we, I had a very unorthodox introduction yeah. to the game.
0: yeah. Did you, like, did you enjoy that? Did you, like, love hitting it
1: inside like that or on the string like that? I didn't really know any better, you know? I mean, for the, yeah. m- for the most part, I was a pretty good kid. And anytime my dad told me to do something, I was always like, okay, um, right. you know, I, 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 I've always been, you know, like daddy's little girl, I guess, you know, I've, I've, and I've always um, been fairly partial to, um, you know, abiding by my parents and definitely was at that age for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. And so for me, I was just like, okay, you want me to do this? Fine, as long as as long as long my siblings have to do it. And I'm gonna count every single swing of theirs and of mine to make sure that we're all doing it at the, uh, t- uh, we're all doing the same amount of swings.
0: So yeah, I was gonna say you seem, you know, just like look, watch, looking at you at social media, you seem to like love practicing and playing. Do you feel like this was ingrained for you then from the beginning?
1: Well, I think it might fall more into just my personality. Um, okay. I am, a. if you're, if you're a golfer, you're always going to have, I always say all golfers are crazy, but you're <laughs> always going to have a little bit of that desire for obtaining perfection, especially knowing that nobody in golf has ever been completely perfect. So there's that tiny part of you that thinks, well, maybe, maybe I will be the one exception in all of. Golf's history, and maybe I'll be able to obtain that. Um, but I also just love immersing myself in my practice. Um, you know, trying to practice with purpose. I love to play. I I love. I just love everything. I'm I am a golf nerd, and I love everything about the game. So for me, um, you know, I I find that you know when I go out and practice, it's it's similar to when I go um, running. I'm it's it's complete me time. Like I Mm -hmm. don't have to worry about anything other than trying to put everything that I can physically, mentally into the task at hand. And so for me, golf has been a wonderful teacher in learning patience and learning presence. And so I feel like those are two qualities that can be applied to any situation in life. So that for me, it's, you know, it's, it's practicing and, and working on more than just making contact with the golf ball.
0: Mm-hmm. When did you realize that golf was something you could do as a career?
1: This is kind of silly because, um, when I started playing in golf tournaments, when I was 12, uh-huh. I, my, my dad would, traips about and again we're talking about like you know mid to late 90s okay he would traipse about with every tournament because obviously you know I couldn't drive myself with a camera like a video camera on a tripod and he would film every shot that I took and we would go back and watch it <sighs> at night Yeah. And do like, you know, like replays of, you know, what I was doing. And so I didn't know the very first time I came across professional women's golf was um, we were watching what was back then the Dinah Shore, which then turned into the Craft Nabisco and which is now the ANA inspiration, the first major um, tournament in all of golf every year. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing Dottie Pepper on the 71st hole and she mishit her um, shot. She mishit her tee shots, par three, and she hit her shot and she said, damn it, Dottie. And so I was like, oh, one, I think we got our our wires crossed with someone else's feed. And two, (laughs) you can swear on the golf course. (laughs) So I kind of blame some of my colorful language to the great Dottie Pepper. Oh, my gosh. But to answer your question, I honestly didn't know you can make money playing golf. All I knew yeah. was I wanted to play golf for the rest of my life. And okay. again, you know, when you're like a kid, you don't yeah. understand the concept of having a career, making money, paying bills, having a mortgage, all of that stuff. You're, you're a kid, you're carefree. You don't, you don't understand any of those things. And so it was when I was 16 years old, my dad had transferred me from, local junior tournaments to a couple of national junior tournaments to a couple of national, um, amateur events. And then I started playing on what is now the Symmetra tour as Mm an amateur. And I played six months on the Symmetra tour. Um, and my dad was like, you know, my first tournament I lost in a playoff to Beth Bauer. And he was like, you know, we would have made, or not we, you would have made X amount of dollars. And I was like, why would I have made money? I was like, there were no bets or anything. I was like, I don't understand. He was like, no, you can make money playing golf. And I was like, what? (laughs) And I was like, that's what I want to do. I didn't know I could do something that I love and be able to make a living doing that. So it's kind of embarrassing that I was about 16 years old. Well,
0: I, and I, you know, the game has also changed so much. Like some of these junior golfers, like they, they know the steps that they're going to take. They're going to play college golf. And if they can play professionally, they will. So it's much more predictable now, I think. And even so, like I, you know, I have a really strong amateur career. Maybe I bypass college and I go pro- and I turn professional, but people kind of have that plan because, because so many more people have gone through it.
1: Right. Right. Well, my dad had, had, basically had a plan like that installed for me I was just I mean I was I was a prime example of living in the moment which so many kids in a lot of ways are you know I I am just all about the here and now and I definitely was much more like that when I was younger aka i was, uh, was kind of stupid
0: <laughs> no it's fine um i was gonna actually ask you this later but we're kind of on the topic of it so i was listening to mike juan on the knowing up podcast and he made oh. this comment about um like he said you know the women the future of women's golf it, it's already here they're playing in high school and they're playing in college which is so obvious but it's just something i don't think about very often like we always think about the future of the game. Well, the future of the game is happening right now. Um yes. do you pay attention to amateur golf
1: at all? I do pay attention to a bit of amateur golf. Um mm-hmm. I uh, have a couple of um, coaches that, you know, that, I mean, I've been on tour, you know, since the Mesozoic era. So I know a lot of the instructors <laughs> out there and, and, you know, a couple of them that I, I really respect beyond just their mere instruction, but just who they are as human beings.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, like
1: George Pinnell is one of my absolute favorite human beings on the planet. And I do kind of keep up with, um, you know, some of the, the, the young ladies that he teaches. I do keep an eye on um, you know, like the the collegiate players. I love watching the NCAA's. I watch the women's AM. I watch the US Girls Junior. Um, you know, and I, I just I love seeing these young kids that are like superstars in the making. And so I'm I'm um, you know I'm I I know Zhang yeah. pretty well, Zang. Um I uh, have been in talks with uh Virginia Elena Carta. Um she went over she's incredible. She was incredible, like an outstanding career at Duke. And then she decides to go to Cambridge, get her MBA and play on the men's golf team. Like Mm -hmm. you know, just and then um you know I, I do have um some ties with some some girls in both New Zealand and Australia uh by virtue of of um you know some of the programs that Kari Webb and Okay Lydia Ko have, have sort of implemented in the last few years. Like I knew Hannah Green when she was like 14 years old, which I think is so, so cool. I knew Sue Oh when she was a child, um, you know, even having met Lydia when she was 12, you know, like, and so I, I do like to keep up with the, um, the, the young crowd, like there's this one girl, Chloe, and I cannot pronounce her name cause it's quite long. She lives down in South Florida. She's 13 years. I don't know if she's turned 13 yet. If I'm being honest, um, she is 13 this year and she's got a driver head clubhead speed of 107 miles an hour, oh my and, gosh and she's 12 years old. And, um, you know, and, and so there are a lot of, um, you know, and I've got like a, I think there's a, I think she's nine years old. Um, Selma Masterson that I, um, you know, keep, you know, I see her at my, at my driving range. When I go over to a, another driving range that I play out of, um, you know, and then I, I also keep an eye on the, the young, the young uh, gentlemen that are out on, um, you know, in the, in the junior circuit, like my, my golf club that I'm a member of orange tree golf club in Orlando, Florida, like John Pack was a member there. Eugene Hong, Um, You know, uh, Manny Gerano, Gerano, I think is his last name. Um, And, you know, you're talking about like Florida State University, um, uh, University of Florida, University of Florida, Brendan Valdez, who is in his senior year in high school right now, he signed... Uh, to go play for Auburn, Jonah Leach, who um, I've known, I mean, I've known these kids since they were like 13 years old. He's going, he's, he's at Florida right now. You know, like there are so many Logan, Gerald's JP Miller. Like there are a bunch of these young kids that I just kind of watched Sophie Guo. um, You know, I, I believe she's playing for USC, no, Texas, excuse me. She's playing for Texas. Like there there's, you know, you, you want to know, who is the future, not just what the future will be, but who is going to be, who is going to be the future and what kind of people they are. And anytime I get the opportunity to, I don't know if I would say mentor um, because I still always joke, like I still tell fart jokes. So I'm not like the most adult adult on the planet. Um, You know, I, I, I just want to make sure that, you know, if there are these kids that are out there that are passionate about the game and that want to, be the best they can be. You know, I, I you know give them some anecdotes of you know things that I went through when I was their age, things I went through early in my career, um, you know, choices that I made, whether they be good, bad, and different, whatever. You know, just so that um, you know you can kind of you know not guide them, but just provide them with some um, different perspective. And and I also think it's very very important, especially for these young kids to be, um, you know, they're obviously they're obviously still kids. Like anybody under 30 is a kid to me, but you know, they're, they're obviously still kids, but at the same time, they, they need to understand that they too are human beings and that their um, thoughts and opinions matter, even if it's only to them. And Uh I, you know, growing up, I was always very strong-willed. I was always, um, you know, open to discussion, open to communication, wanting to you know, if I was told I was wrong, I would want to know why and not in a combative way just so that, oh, I was wrong. Can I learn why I was wrong so that I can rectify things or change things? And, um, you know, with, with um, education comes uh, knowledge and with knowledge comes power. And so, you know, in, in all these different ways, I'm trying to empower these kids both as golfers, but more importantly, just as human beings, because it can be a very cruel world out there if, you know, you're all, you know, is golf, you know, and, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're thrust into the real world, you know, whatever that may be, even, you know, transitioning from high school into college, that can be a very difficult transition. So just, you know, having communication with these kids, um, you know, I think is just it's it's something that I wish that I had. And I was going to ask
0: you if you did. Yeah.
1: No, I, I actually did not. Um, you yeah. know, the closest I ever got was I met Julie Inkster when um, there was a golf tournament when I was a junior mm-hmm. at um, Los Altos Country Club, which her husband at the time was a director of golf. And she was mentoring Paula Creamer um, back then, which is awesome, you know, and, and I remember seeing that and thinking, that's really cool. I, I, I wish someone would do that for me. Yeah, you know, and and she, you know, she was obviously, um, you know, she lived a little, you know, probably 25 minutes closer to Paula, and you know, they had already known each other and everything. But I was just like, wow, that's kind of neat. I think that would be that would be pretty awesome one day to have that. And then lo and behold, you know, I end up on tour and I'm like, ah, oh, I didn't get that,
0: right? Okay, right. maybe yeah. I
1: can be that in the right. future.
0: Yeah, have you seen, do you feel the the tour or relationships have, have changed at all in that way with like veterans, you know, helping rookies or anything like that sort?
1: Well, when I was a rookie, I, I, I would, I I had several mentors, but Uh it was, you know, less The kind where people saw something in me and wanted to mentor me I was like tap you on the shoulder hey I'm gonna be your protege whether or not you want it and I had like five or six players that I was like you're my mentor you're also my mentor you're my mentor everyone's my mentor um because again like you know I I you know I was always the kind of person that was like you know I wasn't afraid of rejection because once I'm told no I'm like oh okay then I don't have to um, you know, consume any more time worrying about this, I can move on from there. And so, um, you know, I, I was never afraid to, to ask someone, hey, what do you think about this? Or, you know, I'm thinking of doing this, what are your thoughts? Or do you have any suggestions as to, you know, this path or something like that? Um, so I don't know if the culture has changed so much as, I myself have changed, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's just that the roles have switched over a little bit. And now I'm the one that's like, Hey, I see the path that you're going on. And based on personal experience and based on this and based on that, um, my suggestion, if you want it would be this. And if you don't want it, then obviously don't pay attention to anything I have to say. Um, you know, it's just, I, I've witnessed this you know, right. over the millennia. So, um, you know, if you, if, you, if you want some help, here's my number, here's my email address. Um, this is my social media handle, you know, whatever means of communication you're most comfortable with, I'm more than happy to um, help you if you ever have any questions. Yeah,
0: that's great. And, and yeah, I just, I've, I'm not privy to really how all of that works now and what the relationships are like on, on the tour.
1: I will say sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. The LPGA tour, we do have, um, we used to have like a big sister, little sister program where it would Mm. be one player that had been on tour for a few years that would take a rookie under their wing. And then it had morphed into uh, like a pod system where you have a staff member, a, a player who's no longer an active tour player, as well as a an active tour player that's been on tour for a few years and we get like a handful of rookies, uh, which we call our pods. So we do have that. Um, and I did participate in that for a number of years and, uh, the last couple of years I've kind of gone away from that because I would be the kind of player that I would have my pod and then I would still take on four or five more rookies. So, Now I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to let anybody and everybody know if they want to talk to me, this is my contact info and, um, you know, just kind of expanding my network that way. So I I don't necessarily, um, you know, have a designated pod anymore. I just kind of look at like the entire class of rookies and I'm like this whole litter of puppies, they're, they're, um, you know, I'm here for you if you ever need something, someone, anything like that.
0: That's awesome. That's great. I mean, every everyone needs help. They may get it in their own way, but everyone can use some help.
1: Well, well, and I mean, you look at any successful person and there is not a single person I'm sure of it in the history of the world that did not get to a point of success without people helping them, even if it's in the most small, in the most minuscule way, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, they're, they're, you know, I mean, and it, it doesn't even have to go into strictly rookies. Like I have players that are, that have, major championships under their belt. And I still have yet to get my first major, but you know, it's like when you're an empath, you can tell if something's going on in someone's life. And I like, you know, in the last, um, we'll just say last year or so, mm-hmm. you know, I came across a player that is, um, you know, a major champion winner and, you know, she was struggling and didn't understand what was going on. And we had a really long heartfelt talk, not about the golf game or the golf swing, but just about life. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that I had anything to do with her thus playing, um, better after that, but it's just one of those things of just sometimes just knowing that you're not alone can be so huge and knowing that, um, there are people that, you know, even though we're competitors, we can still be just decent human beings to one another and let people know that if you need someone to talk to, I'm here for you. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that that goes a long way because it it can be quite lonely, you know, like, um, like talking with some of my, my, my female friends that are in, in the business world that are just entering the game, let's say, you know, it's, it's scary and it's very lonely, especially as a woman. Um, Mm -hmm. for, for, I mean, in terms of life in general, like you, there is potential for it to be scary. Um, and there is definitely potential to be ostracized, especially in such a, um, classically white male driven sport like golf. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: Yeah, no, I know there's, (laughs) it's, it's certainly, it's just good to have people in your corner. Um, Regardless of your situation, even if it's you know you're cel- to celebrate your success or when you need help. So, absolutely. I'm um, switching gears a little bit. What is a tournament that you'd love to
1: win? I'm not gonna lie. I mean, you just say fill in tournament name here. I would be thrilled to win. Um, yeah. Obviously, the U.S. O- U.S. Women's Open would be damn near the absolute top of the list um, because you know as as a proud California born and raised American, um, even though I might be looked upon by some as some sort of liberal snowflake, whatever the hell that may even mean. Again, I just like to think that I'm just a decent human being. And I just like, when I say, how are you, I actually want to know how you are. Um, you know, the, there, there is something so very special about your national championship and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously everything that the USGA has done, to progress golf into the the place that it is now and to you know i i i i do have a little bit of a rebellious streak when it comes to things but if there's a rule my ass is going to follow it um you (laughs) know i i I think you know without following the rules and the laws we will um you know descend into anarchy and chaos so even if there are some rules whether it's in you know uh, uh you know on the road or whether it's in um Golf, let's say, or something like that, that may not necessarily always make sense. It's not that you know these rules were ever implemented without serious consideration and thought, and there is a reason why these rules and laws are implemented. So I am, I am a bit of a, a rules follower, um, with a little bit of a rebellious streak. But yeah, I mean, the U.S. Women's Open would be would be huge. Um, any of any of our five majors would be incredible, but. The way I see it anytime you get the opportunity to hoist a trophy in mm-hmm. any capacity it, it just it, it, it's it's a feeling that that's hard to to replicate you know and and you know winning tournaments as a junior they meant so much to me back then and it's just because I'm now a professional and I I, I make a living playing golf that love and that joy and you know knowing that those risks you took on the golf course, or even if it's, you know, a risk you took in business or anything like that, there's no reason why you can't um, celebrate your achievements and your accomplishments and knowing every time you hoist a trophy, whatever, whether in a literal sense or in a, more in a metaphorical sense, any sort of victory that you have, it comes with challenges. It comes with adversity and it comes with the potential of self-doubt. So to be able to, overcome those doubts, I think is just something that is, um, you you know, it's something that you can't replicate unless, you know, it only happens when you're in it.
0: Mm -hmm. And I, for me, I love when I love seeing people win tournaments because then we want to tell their story. Whereas some, especially in the women's game, if, you know, if they're not winning, you may not hear who they are. You may not hear their story. Um, so it's it's even more exciting, I think, when when women hoist a trophy because then it gives us another reason to tell their story.
1: So that's all. yes, <laughs> which is great. However, I will say, from having been on tour yes. for this is my 19th year on the LPGA tour, my 20th year as a professional every single week you have 144 of the most compelling stories um pretty much any human being that i encounter that has in essence made it this far and not this far as into the level of um you know elite golf that i have just this far as in like this day this date if you sit and listen almost everybody has an incredible story, whether it's their origin story, whether it's, you know, what um, led them to take on the occupation that they're in, whether it was, you know, a single moment in time that inspired them to want to be more philanthropic or whatever it may be. I'd like to think that every single human being on this planet has a pretty remarkable story because no two stories are ever the same.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's like one of my like when people ask, like, "What's my hope for women's golf?" It's mostly to you know to for more people to know the stories of the female athletes that are competing. Um, and yeah, but this is not about me. So, what is I'm um, one of like the wildest things that you have that's like happened to you or that you've seen at at a golf event?
1: Um. Well, I mean, I guess it. Um. So there is one thing that happened at a tournament. The only thing is I'm not sure if I if I could <laughs> share it just because I mean I'll omit names. Like it, it has nothing to do with I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like you know out anyone or anything like that in terms of like in like involving names or anything. It's just because of the political climate in which we're in, mm. um, you know, it, it just kind it just it sucks because it involved Uh, a couple of instances that happened when we had the U S women's open at um, in Bedminster, New Jersey. Mm, mm -hmm. And okay. I will share, I will share one. Um, And it's not really wild. It's just for me because it involved me. I just found it like, like, like hysterical in the sense of the alternative definition of just hysteria of just like crazy. Um, So On Friday of the U.S. Women's Open, I had to go three under in my last six holes, including making, you know, a curling eight foot putt in damn near darkness to make the cut. And I did. Um, And that was probably one of, That's probably one of a handful of shots I think I will remember for the rest of my entire career because it was just such a slog. I mean, obviously, like I said, you know, I hold the U.S. Women's Open in such high regard. And, you know, I didn't start off the tournament the way that I wanted to. And I had to scrimp and scrape and I had to fight my way to even see the weekend And I remember because um, I had just started wearing the whoop band that everyone's hopped on the bandwagon. for. Oh my gosh, look at you.
0: I've
1: been wearing the whoop since the day it became available to the public back in April of 2017. Oh my gosh. So I had it on my wrist and I had this eight foot curling putt in like, I could not see the top row of the grandstands of the 18th green and so it was a difficult putt to read. I drained the putt. And I remember as I was reading the putt, I could hear my heart in my ears. I could feel it in my brain. And when I made that putt, I let out a whoop and a holler that might have rivaled any of my celebrations in the Solheim cups. Oh my I gosh. It was one of the most like important putts in my career and it was just to make the cut but everything like for me it was just there was so much riding on it and there was so much importance to it and so I go out I'm like one of the last groups to finish and thus I'm one of the first groups out um, the next morning and so I go out and I play I and and I was the first group out like I we finished like an hour before the second group um, uh, that I teed off Because, you know, I'm not a slow player. And um, so the girl that I was paired with, we just we just went and I shot four under, jumped up into the top 10 of the leaderboard, went from like barely making like went from making the cut on the number to top 10 on the leaderboard. And I told my caddy, I was like, dude, you we you were out here so late last night because we finished so late. We were first off this morning. Just do me a favor, leave the bag on the putting green, go grab some lunch and then go home. And he was like, are you sure? I'm like, I need to go get some physical therapy. I need to go get lunch. Um, You know, I might've made a joke, like I'd probably have to go poo at some stage, you know, like that's just kind of how I am. And I was like, and I I can promise you, if I need to take the golf bag to the driving range, I'm pretty sure I'm enough of an adult where I can do that myself. You've done some great work. I want you to get some rest. That matters to me more than you staring, watching me hit golf balls. And so he was like, "Okay, if as long as you're sure." And I'm like, "Get out of here, please. Um, that would make me happy." And so he puts my bag down on the putting green. I finished before the leaders even started warming up. That's how, like, that's how that's how early we finished. Yeah. And so I go. I get my physical therapy. I go. I get my lunch, and then I come back, and the entire putting green is deserted. And. Um, in terms of the parking and everything we were uh forced to utilize valet and so um the valet crew you know i i uh, we are required to use valet and and so i saw one of the girls and she was like i was like hey girl what's going on how you doing And she's like oh she's like um just so you know because uh at that time this was you know this was the weekend and you know it was this whole big thing that um you know uh then president trump was coming to bedminster because he does he did stay there uh, a lot a lot during his presidency instead of you know being in the white house um so he would come to bedminster and uh stay there with his family and he had chosen that weekend to um come and stay because you know it's not like we had a you know major championship and all of that but you know that's neither here nor there And so I'm like, yeah, I'm like, this is my bag. She's like, I just want to let you know the Secret Service came by and they were flipping out over this quote unquote unattended bag. Oh no. And they brought the bomb sniffing dogs to check out your golf bag. And I'm like yelling at them. I'm like, I know her. She's got like the green tag on the bag that, you know, you have to pass it through security. They do a um, a check and all of that stuff. She's like, she's just, she, she just finished playing. She's coming right back and um so i just found that hysterical and so the next morning you know we have to go through the um uh we have to go through the metal detector and it's like sure. you know, similar to tsa where they have the x-ray screening just to make sure that there's no uh, you know because obviously we have to protect the president you know i mean it's it's you know he's, he's the most important person in 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 the free world so obviously you have to get everything checked and i completely understand that you know like there was very very high security measures that were being taken and so you know you 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 accommodate you make sure you arrive extra early to make sure it doesn't take into your practice schedule and everything and so I put my bag through the x-ray machine and they see my name and they're like oh this is your bag
0: and I was like yeah
1: hi they're like we were wondering whose bag this or who like which person uh, was attached to this particular golf bag I'm like yeah I'm sorry like I had to go get physical therapy It's not like whatever. Like, I, I know you guys are just doing your job. But at the same time, I was also doing mine. And I had relieved my caddy of his duties, because he had he had a long, you know, 24 hours of work. Um, so I'm really sorry to put you guys under any stress or anything like that. And they just kind of like, they laughed it off. They're just like, it's, it's just protocol, ma'am. Like, it's just, it it was just like, so for me, it's just like, it's just a crazy story because it's just like, at no point have I ever put my golf bag through an x-ray machine. I, you know, the the only dogs I've ever come near my golf bag are like dogs from, um, you know, members at my golf club, things like that. And it was just, you know, obviously it was. It, it was a protocol in which they had to follow. It was just like one of those things you're like, what do you mean the president of the United States is here? I'm trying to, I'm trying to win the U.S. Open. So it was just oh the most, gosh. like, it was just absurd in so right. many different ways. It was just comical. Oh my gosh, that's. And then I have another wild. story where I ripped my pants from belly button <laughs> to the top of my ass crack. But this was before I, before I teed off. This was, no, no, different week, different week. Okay. Um, This was uh, this was but this was before I started my my um, my warm up and everything like that I got there before anybody else was at the golf course and, and it was at a tournament where the hotel was on site so I was able to just kind of like clamp the front clamp the back and kind of crab walk back to my hotel room and change and no one ever knew. Oh my gosh so funny.
0: Um, so I don't even like know how to follow that up. So we're just going to have to like, just like change gears completely, but that's okay. So, um, I have a few like mailbag questions that some people submitted. Um, so one of them was, do you think you would consider, um, an on-air media career after
1: golf? Um, so I have dabbled a bit right. with, um, you know, I've, I've done some PJ tour live. I am going to do some more PJ tour live this, this coming year. I think if, if it fits in my schedule and if it fits in with, um, you know, the PJ tour as well, I, um, I, I, if I'm being perfectly frank, I would say that I would maybe consider it, um, one my number one priority, obviously, right now is to play. And that's the only thing that I care about whatsoever.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: two, there need to be some changes made to a lot of the media that's being done in terms of how golf is covered, whether it's for the LPGA Tour or even for the PGA Tour, the Corn Ferry, European Tour, Ladies European Tour. Um, I, I think that there are some some changes that need to be made. Um, I think that, you know, the, um, I don't have these figures, so I could be very, very wrong. Just based on my personal experience, the demographics of golfers are changing. Um, Mm -hmm. the types of people that are playing golf is changing. It's becoming a lot more diverse, both in age age. Well, not both Um, in terms of age, in terms of background, in terms of socioeconomical um, like standings and things like that. And so I I think that there needs to be more diversity um, in golf uh, media in the same way. I I think that um, the game itself, you know, it's become a lot more athletic in general. You know, I mean, we're talking about Bryson DeChambeau, who's hitting his driver 400 yards. Um, and you know, that, that is part of this, you know, quote unquote, new era of golfers, which, you know, we can go into an hours, 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 days long discussion about equipment. And we're not going to do that right now, but (laughs) the overall, a lot of things in terms of golf are changing. And I think that the media does need to follow in step with that. So, um, If there are some changes that are made between the time that uh, we're in right now versus when um, are all the way down to when I do finally hang up my boots, maybe it is something that I would consider. But the only thing I can truly say right now is um, at this moment, and again, I'm all about living in the present. Yeah, I'm a competitive golfer. um, And that's really honest to God, the only thing I can say right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to
1: make it to tomorrow. So I can't even tell you what I'm going to do five years from now. Right,
0: from now. right, right. No, that that's perfect. You kind of alluded to it with um, Bryson and just like athleticism in golf. But I saw that like you even used to joke that you were just a golfer, but now you feel like an athlete, which is a, a, an exciting and cool feeling. How has that like helped your game? Well,
1: um, yes. I mean, like I said, over a year ago, I started, um, you know, living in a ketogenic lifestyle. Um, It's not something that I say everybody should do. It's not something I say anybody should do. It's just something that has uh, worked well for me. And I mean, I'm the kind of person that I have tried pretty much every single meal style that's out there. I've been paleo. I've gone vegan, gained 10 pounds, which sucked. Um, Been complete, you know, been a, been a vegetarian, gone pescatarian. Um, You know, I I've, I've done pretty much anything and everything under the sun and for me, you know, I, I was at a point where I was emotionally, mentally, and physically drained. Mm-hmm. And I kind of told myself, I was like, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, I've had a good run. If I die, cause I end up choking on a, like an avocado, I've had a good run, whatever, you know? And so, um, you know, I, I, I looked into, I, I, I know several people that have taken, um, this route as well. And I said, I'll try it. Like, you know, again, I got nothing else to do. Like, I like to eat. Let me see what this is all about. And it was something that I felt like, um, you know, really benefited me more emotionally and mentally than physically. Mm. And it just, you know, I always joke that I have like shallow health syndrome in that (laughs) I would look at myself (laughs) in the mirror and I would say, you have a good heart you're a good human being you care about people i mean your heart might be a little enlarged right now i don't know but you have a good heart and so when i look at myself in the mirror i see the same person mhm you know and and so for me it's it's this was never really a journey to get fit, lose weight, be Mm -hmm. sexy. Cause I really, I mean, I'll, I've checked every single pocket in every single pair of pants, every single skirt I have. I've looked in every single purse I own. I checked my bra. I couldn't find a damn to give anyone else in terms of how, how other people perceive me. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, it was just, I was like, what's the worst that could happen? I'm like, I, I'm, I'm exhausted. So obviously something has to change. Um, And by being physically exhausted and by being injury prone, that's having a mental toll on me and my mental, my mental health matters to me more than anything else. And they're all intricately tied to one another. And so I um, started doing the ketogenic lifestyle. I, I, I was very fortunate um, in that, you know, I had a very high BMI and, So when my body went from converting carbs into energy and storing fat by depleting my body of the vast majority of carbs that I was eating, and they were, they were terrible carbs too. Like, I mean, I would eat candy, I would drink soda, I would eat, you know, like a lot of starchy carbs, things like that. Um, You know, I, I kind of flipped the switch and dramatically decreased them, um, increased my fat intake of like things like avocado, various oils, um, you know, good hearty, fatty cuts of meat, not in large quantities. Um, you know, I, my body then went into ketosis, AKA, I think it thought it was dying and said, we don't have any carbs converted to energy. So we have to find something. And it was like, Oh, this girl's got a ton of fat in her. Like we can probably, let's see if we can use that and turn that into energy. And so, you know, I lost like 17 pounds in the first three weeks. Um, you know, I, I lost like, I don't know, like 37 or 35 pounds in the first three months. Um, you know, it, it, it took me like nine months. I had lost like 60 pounds and I've, I've, I've been continuing to slowly, um, you know, lose a little bit more fat, a little bit more fat. And, and, you know, about four months into it, I was like, okay, I think I'm in a place where like my knees can handle me jumping and running again.
0: Okay. And yeah.
1: So I just started, you know, and I said, you know what? I mean, I want to give myself the best chance that I can. Um, I've been going through a ton of golf swing changes, and I said, let's instead of just working out, you know, and and doing these, um, you know, isometric ec- uh, exercises, and you know, doing upper body this day and then you know, doing butt and back and whatever, <laughs> you know, all those things. You know, I was just like, why don't I find someone because golf is not just my occupation, golf is my life. Like I said, mm-hmm. I'm a golf nerd. I'm like, why don't we see how good we can get? And so I started seeing, um, Ryan Blackburn, um, who is also located in Orlando and he, like he, his, his, um, gym is like 15 minutes from my house, which is perfect. And I said, I told him, I said, Hey, why don't we, let's give this a go. Like, again, what's the worst that could happen if I die tomorrow? Cause I worked out too much. Okay. You know, like I was just like, let's just dive in and see what happens. And so between, um, you know, feeling more mental clarity, because I had less stuff floating around in my brain that was not um, um, allowing me to be efficient with myself. um, Because I, I, you know, there's no scientific proof to this whatsoever, but I always tell people like, cause your brain is, um, it's not a muscle, it's a globular organ that's comprised of about 60% fat. And so I always joke, you know, like when I eat my mackerel, I eat my salmon, I, I drizzle olive oil on almost everything I have, although now I'm like obsessed with this new oil that's derived from algae. Um, oh, it's yeah, it's it's and it's, it's it's got a very mild flavor, like it's very similar to like grapeseed oil, um, mm. you know, or if I use beef tallow these days, or, you know, melt some butter and clarify it or whatever it is, you know, I, I always joke that like, virtue of consuming a lot of my calories that do come from good healthy fats. And I love avocado. I grew up with an avocado tree in my front yard as a kid. And I had no idea how much money we were saving because this is a very expensive fruit. Um, And so I would always tell myself that, you know, your brain is made up of mostly fat. So you're eating brain food. And, you know, again, there's no scientific data backing that whatsoever that I'm aware of. I, I don't know. Um, but, you know, so I felt like I had better mental clarity. You know, I was, um, you know, even though they are high fat, they're good fats, and I was eating a lot cleaner. Um, you know, I, I haven't had a soda in, you know, I don't know, 15 months or something like that. And um you know so for me by having that mental clarity it allowed me to understand my golf game my golf swing and i said let's get strong yeah. you know and i spell strong with a k in the back that's strong and i say to my trainer I was like let's just see what happens you know and and so with all of the movements he's increased my mobility um he's increased my stability my strength has gone through the roof i can see my lateralis in uh at the top of my thigh now which is really really yeah. cool it might be my favorite muscle um and so yeah so now i do feel more athletic, you know, and it's not just with my golf swing and my golf game. It's with every movement, the way that I walk now, you know, the way that I, I can actually like, I feel like I can truly feel my body moving, you know, and it's not just like kind of slumped over or, you know, kind of dumpy doughy or anything like that. It's just like, I can actually feel myself. It's almost as if everything that I'm doing, I'm like stalking the earth, which is, which is you know, and not in like a predatory way, but it's just like, I feel confident. I feel strong. I feel like, you know, if I need to, I can outrun my slow friends. Um, you know, like I, it's just like all these amazing things that I just feel really, really good. And, and a lot of that I think is attributed to the lifestyle change that I've made because it's allowed me to feel mental clarity that I have not felt in over a decade. And with that mental clarity, you know, um, stabilizing emotionally and by being emotionally stabilized, I feel like I can make smarter choices with everything that I do in life, including the choices I make on the golf course.
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, there's so many benefits to just living a, a healthier lifestyle in general.
1: For sure. And I mean, but again, this is not something that I would say is something I recommend for anybody. You know, some people would right. still look and say high fat is not the right way to go. Like it's not, you know, I, I, right, I, I right. eat, you know, a ton of vegetables and things like that or whatever else, but you know, some people, they just, they don't, they, some people will not be able to, um, um, gain, you know, benefits from going ketogenic. Right. You know, some people, they just process carbs really well. My boyfriend, he can eat loaves of bread all day long and he'll lose weight. Oh my Whereas gosh. I'm pretty sure just by saying the B word, I probably <laughs> put on a pound. <laughs> I have to like take that word and I have to, I have to like use that and remove those carbs from the rest of my intake for the rest of the day. Oh my gosh. I love it.
0: Um, another question that was asked was, um, when did you start wearing the, I don't, we don't know if this is the right term for it, but like Kangol cap, like the cap that you wear, when did yes.
1: that become part of your look? That actually became part of my look. If I'm not mistaken, it was the third LPJ tour start that I had. It might've, oh. yeah, I'm pretty sure it was my third start. I, um, you know, I, I wore your classic baseball caps and a lot of times I would flip them around. I mean, I have a picture of me when I was 13 years old, hoisting up a trophy with my short 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 hair like like boy cut short hair with my golf sandals and my hemp bracelets that I made for myself because I was cool I mean I you know I didn't I don't care like I look at those and I was like dude I was I was killing the game back then I would never dare touch that now but back then I was you know I was cool yeah. And, um, you know, cause I always tell people, it's not what you wear, it's how you wear it. Although there right. are some caveats, like it has to be within certain parameters. <laughs> and, um, so it was the third tournament and I went to a store with my dad and, you know, I, 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 I'm not a big fan of wearing baseball caps in general. I never have. There's something about the brim of the hat where it's like, if you look in the mirror and it looks perfectly even, and then like, I look up and it looks like it's kinked off to the right. And it was actually kind of messing with the way that my eyes were looking at the golf ball. Yeah. And so, um, for me, I said, I don't want a brim. Why don't we just wear a hat without a brim? And I grabbed a couple of hats. I really enjoyed it. And that was all she wrote. You know, I did go through a really, like, really silly fedora phase in, like, 2009 and 10. Oh, my gosh, um, I'll have to look. Oh, yeah. I mean, but again, I was killing it. It was sort of like a, it was right. like, it was definitely an edgy look. Um, but, and, you know, I didn't care. I'm just like, I, it's still a that's hat you without, like, like, a round brim. Yeah, I'm like, again, it's not what you wear. It's how you wear it. Yeah. And confidence is the best accessory.
0: Right. Well, I, that's what nothing. I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah i um, so this is kind of silly. Who is your favorite rules official on the LPGA tour and why is it Annie So, Oh,
1: well, so we have seven or eight rules officials on tour. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's just go with seven. And I can guarantee you that Annie is in my top seven. Oh, good. I'm so <laughs> glad. <laughs> no, Annie is awesome. Annie is awesome. However, I will say that Sue Winters, who is um, like our head official, our lead official, she has been with the LPGA for longer than I've been on tour, which is crazy to think because there are some players that I've been on tour longer than they've been alive. Um, (laughs) And that's okay. But Sue and I, like we have, we have like, been through the trenches together. Um, you know, she, anytime I have a silly rules question, she's, I mean, to be fair, all the rules officials are phenomenal when it comes to this, but um, you know, she'll answer any question that I have in, in, regards to the rules. She is like one thing that I, I would like to say I demand of my rules officials, but I'm not a demanding person. Um, but one, one of my favorite qualities of our rules officials are the fact that they are, you know, they're not, like when they're on the job, they're on the job. They're not Mm -hmm. like, you know, you don't ever have to worry that, okay, oh, this rule official is coming. I'm all, I'm definitely going to get a good drop or this rule official is coming. I'm definitely not going to get relief. It's like, no, if you're entitled to relief, you're going to receive relief. And if you're not entitled to relief, you're not going to get relief, and and that is one of my favorite things about all of our rules officials, um, you know, throughout the the entire um, career that I've had thus far. But Sue, like we've had so many like in depth talks, like off the golf course, um, and she's just like she's she's one of my ride or dies. She's one of the few people on earth that I would call one of my ride or dies. Um, Annie's cool too, though. Annie's great. I must say, Annie <laughs> needs a, Annie. Annie has never done anything wrong um and she's so much fun and like you can clearly tell that she loves the game however yes. i will say that annie she's got to earn her licks that's the way that i see it you got to earn your licks you got to be down in the trenches with me and you know she needs a few more years on tour before she can over uh, she can overthrow sue but she's she's on a good track
0: okay perfect perfect we'll let her know um so <laughs> the, <laughs> the the last question that i ask um every guest is um, what advice do you have for women who want to pick up the game?
1: Do it. Yeah, that would be my advice: <laughs> is just do it. It, it, it. But it 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 falls in line with anything in life. If there's something that you want to do, do it. Why the hell not? And I'm sorry if I'm not supposed to swear on this podcast. I oh no, I, you're I, you're I, just fine. <laughs> okay, because I kept to most of my like you know softer words. Um, there's there is no reason why you can't do anything that you want. And this is something, obviously, you know, we're told from a young age, this, that, whatever, right. whatever, but there are, there are countless examples where this is the case, you know, like, um, oh crap. What's her name? Was it was Ashley. Oh my gosh. The girl from Vanderbilt. That was the, um, the goalkeeper oh. for the women's soccer team that is now, you know, she, she's, she's kicked a, fi- a field goal, Sarah or Fuller. she kicked an extra. Maybe that's her name. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think that's her. Um, Yeah. You know, and and you look at something like football, which is, you know, so classically, you know, testosterone, you can smell it in the air. Everyone's covered in sweat. There's all this grunting and all this mass being pushed around or whatever. If she can do it, anybody can do it. Kamala Harris, the first female vice president, first vice president of color, um, Mm -hmm. first, you know, South Asian vice president, like all of, there's no, the only reason why people think women can't break these barriers is because they tell them they can't. Right. You know, I, I mean, anything that I think I can do, I'm going to, I'm going to at least attempt to do it because the of way course. that I see it, you know, we're just human beings. And um, you know, am I going to sit there and try and lift a thousand pounds? I know my limitations, right? If I built myself up to it, there's no reason why if I dedicated myself to it, there's no reason to say that, you know, in about three years time after lifting, way too much that maybe I would be able to do it. (laughs) Right. But that's not to say that there's no way physically possible that I can't do it just because I'm a girl, just because I'm a woman. Um, You know, although I'm probably, you know, I've, I've my, that, that firm belief that I have in myself, which is one of my favorite qualities of myself might be one of the the qualities that might've gotten me in trouble in the past, but the way that I see it, Anytime I encounter an issue with a person, more often than not, if it's just because I say, I think I can do this and they say, no, you can't, it's more of a them issue and less of a me issue. A hundred percent. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, if someone, if someone wants to pick up golf, do it. There's no reason why you can't. Um, I would also say, um, you know, just, just because, um, you know, for the most part, women tend to be more. Um, community based, let's say. Yeah. Uh, and less of that lone wolf kind of thing. Have a, have a friend pick it up with you and look like idiots and, and relish in the fact that you're you look like idiots. Everybody looks like an idiot the first time they pick up a golf club, right? Everybody on earth that's ever picked up a golf club looks like an idiot because we don't know what we're doing, you know, and, and, and it's, it's a skill that you cultivate. And um, also, you know, and this would go into anybody that plays golf, regardless of your gender, your age, um, your skill set, or anything. You know, instead of, you know, if you miss hit a shot, instead of like getting upset and losing your mind, which you're allowed to at first, uh, because I still get hot headed. But sure. one thing that I've been able to do after, you know, because. You can't deny yourself. If you're going to get mad, get mad. Just get mad real quick and then get over it. Right. Um, you know, like let's say if I if I if I shank and you know if I shank an approach shot, like I shanked one in um, New Jersey, you know, a handful of years ago. Oh, it might have been a decade. I don't remember. It was, it was 2014. Um, I was in the final pairing with Stacy Lewis and Jennifer Johnson. I literally shanked my tee shot on a par three, almost onto the beach. Oh my God. And. Did I sit there and, and this was our 15th hole, you know, of, of the Sunday round, you know, I still had three more holes to play after I finished that hole. Yeah. And I was in second place at that point. And it's like, well, am I going to sit there and say, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm done. I have the rest of the tournament that I have to play the rest of that final round and the final pairing with the girl that's going to win. Um, playing right there next to me. No, mm-hmm. I just, I I, I mean, I, I was like, I was more like puzzled than anything else because I was like, yeah. that's really far away from the part of the club I was trying to hit. And then I said, okay. And I told my caddy, I said, listen, we're, at the very worst, we're going we're gonna to find that ball. If we find that ball, the worst we're going to make off with is a bogey. Let's go. And so yeah. I was like crawling through gorse, like found my ball, found a small opening and I hit this, Awesome shot under one tree over another tree, hit it to about 30 free, almost made the putt for par. And so I sat there and I said, okay, I made a mistake. Now what? Yeah. Now this is going to be the most ridiculous up and down that anyone's going to have ever seen. And if it doesn't go in, it'll be the most ridiculous bogey that anyone's ever seen. And there aren't that many people that have bogey or that have shanked their shanked a shot in the final pairing in the final round with four holes left to play. Um, you know, it's like, all right, but I'm not the only one, you know, like anything that you've done, you know, whether you feel silly or stupid or anything like that, you're not the first person to ever do it, you know, and that's not to say that we're not all special because we are all amazing, incredible human beings. Just like I was saying, there are no two stories alike. There are no two experiences that are ever the same. That being said, stuff like that's happened. Like that is, that is part of the human condition is making mistakes everybody will make a mistake it's more what are you going to do about it afterwards
0: totally yeah and, and just be, yeah being okay like i mean everybody hits bad shots just being like kind of almost just letting it go and moving on to the next thing
1: get mad don't don't get me wrong get mad get right. mad as hell just get mad real quick right and then sit there and say this is a new opportunity for me to hit an incredible shot because you know there's one reason why you go driver iron putter or driver iron wedge putter or driver three wood wedge putter, whatever it is, you're not going to hit the same exact club and the same exact shot back to back. That's what the range is for. Like part of the beauty of golf is that every single shot on the golf course is a chance for redemption. And I love a good redemption story. Even if Mm -hmm. that just means you shank a tee shot on a par three, but you still made bogey like for me, I think that that is just incredible. So there is, and, and, and golf is one of the greatest parallels to life that I've ever come across because you can do everything right. And then, you know, you can bomb your tee shot down the middle. You can hit a perfect approach shot to six feet, and then you can hit a perfect putt and have a single blade of grass that you didn't see that was grown in the opposite direction. Your ball can miss. Or you can sit there and you can could, you could skank your tee shot and then you could skull your approach shot. It hits a sprinkler head and it hits a flagstick. Like everything happens. And I that's part that. of the beauty of this game is that nothing is ever given and nothing is ever a sure thing. Well, that was
0: perfect. I think this, that's the perfect ending for us. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for, for coming on and answering all of our questions. It was so nice to, to catch up with you.
1: Yeah, of course Abby this was awesome and if you guys ever want me on again I would love to come back on or if, if I if I'm never allowed back on again I understand and that's okay but thank you for the opportunity today
0: thanks for listening to today's episode our original music is composed and performed by my talented and wonderful friend Ryan Young if you're looking for more from For The Ladies, visit us at fortheladies.net and on Instagram at For The Ladies. That's F O R E.